Donald Trump, to Greg's point, said to these white supremacists, these white domestic terrorists, have free reign. I'm going to let you do whatever you want to do. I wouldn't be shocked, uh, General, that uh, the folks who get arrested, he gives them pardons before he leaves. Well, worse than that, Roland, uh, I think the police department at the Capitol was complicit. I've dealt with those uh, people when I was in the Pentagon on the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and we used to provide military support to civil authorities for inauguration and major events inside the city of Washington. And that's a well-oiled machine. And what we saw yesterday, uh, the Capitol Police make decisions in coordination with the Sergeant-at-Arms in the Senate and the Sergeant-at-Arms in the House. And yesterday at 3 o'clock, I called for all of them to be fired. And that is starting to happen. They're starting to fire them. But that was complicit. There's people inside the chain of command of that Capitol Police that allowed this to happen. Uh, I went into the Capitol rolling a three-star general, three stars on each shoulder in full uniform. And them ass hats took a lighter from me. You understand? They selectively applied the law, and they allowed their buddies in yesterday, and they destroyed a good portion of our house. And people need to go to jail. It need to be a DOJ investigation, none of this bullshit Congress investigation. And we need to hold people accountable. We need to catch all their phones, who they were with, their rooms they went to in that Capitol. Uh, I used to go in and out. I, I never know how you'd find your way to some of these rooms. So they, they, they had help inside the force, and you can assume about 30% of that force support the guy in the White House. That's just the demographics. And it, our system failed and, and that and, and that point you made there, again, which is the concern of black people, and that is when you have the law enforcement, you have these individuals uh, who hold the same views. They're very conservative. Uh, they are uh, in opposition to Black Lives Matter. Uh, in opposition to civil rights, and, and we witnessed it yesterday. But also, also what, what we witnessed, uh, General, was here you had this man, here you had Donald Trump, here you had Rudy Giuliani. They were inciting a riot. There, look, I think you tweeted, they should, uh, or someone posted that Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and Donald Trump Jr. should be should be arrested. Uh, for uh, uh, causing an insurrection. Absolutely. I mean, all the lawyers in D.C., you tell me they can't figure it out? They can't figure it out because they don't want to figure it out. Okay? They're, they're trying to hold on until the 20th of January, and Lord knows what this guy can do, as I said last night on a couple program. This guy still got access to the nuclear code, and he's going around telling right. his followers... You remember when he told the Proud Boys, I'll call you forward, stand down? He unleashed them yesterday. Mm-hmm. And basically sent them to go attack the building where the vice president and his family was and the entire United States government. House and Senate. He unleashed the Proud Boys on there and they got there and they were welcomed by the Capitol Police. Having them some bitches ought to be fired. The the woman who uh, was shot and killed, uh, I, I do want to speak because this is also uh, an issue here. 
Um, her name is Ashley Babbitt. Um, she now the now here's what's interesting: the U.S. Capitol Police officer who shot and killed her has been placed on administrative leave. But we showed the video, and and they've actually posted the uh, the video. You actually see what took place. Uh, the reason uh, I'm not going to uh, show it, we got basically the YouTube algorithm. We had about 16,000 people on yesterday. They kicked us off, uh, and so I don't want to, um, uh, you know, you know, knock, knock us offline again. Uh, we got 10,000 who are on right now. I don't want to do that. But they were. It was. It was barricaded. She jumps up and she's trying to climb through the window, and the officer fires a shot, shoots her in the neck. Uh, she dies. But if you look at a lot of her crazy videos, she served in the military. And she's ranting and yelling, going off how this country's been stolen. And that's also part of the deal. There are members of the military who, uh, who were there yesterday with these Trump people as well. Yeah, you, uh, you know, you got a volunteer army. And uh, we, as hard as we try as an institution in the military... Uh, and diversity and inclusion, and we're going to have our first African-American Secretary of Defense. Uh, among us are people who think more like the demonstrators that were there yesterday. And in their mind, they've got some, this idea that the election was stolen. What they really are, are PO'd about is that now the Democrats own the White House, they own the Senate, and they own the House. And they are worried that they will lose their white power. They're worried about losing majority rule in the next 30 to 40 years. Because America is changing. And that is what I believe a lot of the believers I talk to, uh, that's the code they talk in, Roland. They don't like the browning of America. Um... General, the from your perspective, what's next? Because here's what I keep saying. These white domestic terrorists, they're not going anywhere. These people are going to cause more mayhem. Uh, there's going to have to be a lot more vigilance. Uh, there's going to have to be, uh, um, you know, a lot more focus. Uh, and, and, and this is where, and here's the, here's the other deal. I mean, you still have not had a major news conference from the FBI. You have not, this is, this is why Donald Trump is so dangerous. He is literally preventing the federal government from investigating what they how they should be doing this year. You cannot convince me under any other president that if there was an insurrection on the day the Congress was in session, the House and the Senate, you would not have Someone coming out, talking to the American people, giving an update. They found two explosive devices near the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee. There was one guy who was arrested with 11 Molotov cocktails. These people were hell-bent on overthrowing the government yesterday. Roland, uh, there's an old preacher, country preacher down where... Uh... I come from in Lake Louisiana. I used to talk about when bad things happen. Uh, how do we take this disaster and use it to learn from 
and to expose what happened yesterday in the full view of the world and America with the use of the internet and these phones. It, it took the sheet off a bunch of people uh, proclaiming themselves to be conservatives and what they are are racist. It took the sheet off. And in a way, it happened. I wish it hadn't happened. But the fact that the way it was documented and it was focused on the people's house with the Senate and the House in session, we probably will extend the life of our democracy another hundred years because of yesterday, because it exposed the BS that's been going on at Mar-a-Lago and all these other places these folks go off and do their planning, that racism is driving the political future of this country. And we have an opportunity now with all three branches of government to do something about it. Well, you're, I believe you're absolutely right. Um, some, and people have asked me this, uh, general people have said, Roland, when you saw yesterday, what was your initial response? And I was honest, general, I smiled. And I said, good. Because I needed white folks in America to see white folks in America doing what white folks in America have done since inception of this country. They can't sit here and say it was the blacks. Can't say, oh, it was it was the browns. No, no, no. They had they had to be forced to see it. And all of these Republicans who have stood with these people, who have explained them away, who have supported them, who have taken photos with them, they now have to now answer, which side are you on? Which side are you now on? And so there's no separating here. There's no separating whatsoever. They're going to have to answer that. And that, that, to the point that you just made, I said the same thing. We always knew it. Black folks, we always knew it. White America had to see the hatred for themselves. And now they got to decide who you're going to roll with, them or us. Yeah, and they keep have used this, they stole the election. What they're worried about is losing majority, Roland. They saw what happened in Georgia, uh, what happened in Pennsylvania and other places where people got out to vote and they were organized. And now we've got an opportunity just to change the direction a little bit. Because this is a work in progress but there is so much evil that has happened in the last six months, and we're doing it in the middle of a pandemic. Now, it's routine now to lose 4,000 people a day. we got to get back on that story. And yesterday was a big spreader event. They're all going back to their towns now and, and taking even more COVID back. And we got to get past the inauguration. And my, God, my recommendation to Secretary... Uh, to, to some of the people on the uh, President Biden staff is let's get done with this uh, inauguration. Uh, this is a big focus on donors and balls to hell with all that. Uh, make sure you got your acting Secretary of Defense walking into Pentagon at 1 o'clock. Your acting Homeland Security. Your acting DOJ. 
and you act in FEMA. All those people need to walk in those buildings and take command as soon as the inauguration is over with. So we got control of the government. And all those Trump people need to leave. Yeah, I'll wait overnight. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You, I agree, sir. Retired Lieutenant General Russell Honoré, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Bless you. It's time to be smart. if President Trump is removed from office. It comes as Capitol Hill officials work to step up security ahead of Inauguration Day. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser is asking the federal government for help. I sent a letter yesterday requesting that the president declare a pre-emergency disaster for the District of Columbia. This is necessary because the inauguration poses several unprecedented challenges that exceed the scope of our traditional planning processes. The COVID-19 pandemic and, of course, the domestic terror attack on the United States Capitol. Bowser is urging people not to travel to Washington, instead asking people to watch the event virtually. For more, let's bring in CBS News reporter Nicole Skanga. Hi there, Nicole. Uh, before we get to that FBI warning, what are you learning about Chad Wolf's resignation? Well, the announcement came in a staff-wide letter sent by Acting Secretary Chad Wolf this afternoon to staff at the Department of Homeland Security. He said, quote, I'm stepping down as your Acting Secretary. I'm saddened to take this step as it was my intention to serve the department until the end of this administration. And that's right, Elaine. In fact, Acting Secretary Wolf had formerly announced on the Thursday following the assault on the U.S. Capitol Wednesday that it was his intention to stay. He was not going to step down or resign as other cabinet level officials had. Uh, also in this letter, the announcement that Pete Gaynor, the current FEMA administrator, will become the acting secretary effective 11.59 p.m. tonight. So that going out in a department-wide letter to staff. Now, in his message, Wolf also acknowledges to employees that he was effectively forced to take this step because of a lot of legal questions surrounding his appointment as acting secretary of DHS. In fact, most recently on Friday, a judge in San Francisco became the latest of a series of federal judges to find that Wolf was not lawfully appointed as acting secretary of DHS because the department had failed to adhere to certain legal requirements for leadership appointments. So Wolf also writing in this letter, quote, unfortunately, this action is warranted by recent events, including the ongoing and what he calls meritless court reeling rulings regarding the validity of my authority as acting secretary. One more note on this, Elaine, as the siege was occurring on the U.S. Capitol on Wednesday, acting secretary Wolf was overseas. He was on a diplomatic mission in the Middle East, so he was not on U.S. soil. He had to cut that trip short and return uh, as, as soon as he learned of the events unfolding at the Capitol. Uh, we've not seen him in public. He's not addressed the press since last Wednesday. 
All right, we'll see if any more details on that uh, resignation come out. Nicole, well, in the meantime, what more can you tell us about this new warning from the FBI that we mentioned at the top? Yeah, well, the FBI is warning law enforcement nationwide. Groups are calling on, quote unquote, the storming of federal, state and local courthouses in all 50 states. If the president is removed from office prior to Inauguration Day on January 20th, that's according to a law enforcement source. Now, according to this FBI alert, the groups are calling on participants to come armed at their own discretion. There's also some nonspecific reports about threats being made on President-elect Joe Biden, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. This has also caught the attention of social media groups like Twitter. Some of these veiled threats, some of them not so veiled, that we're starting to see online, uh, places like Reddit, places like 4chan, Parler, other social media apps. One flyer that briefly appeared on various social media sites last week called for a for an armed march from the Washington Memorial to the White House. It read, quote, come armed at your personal discretion. So incredibly disturbing to hear these reports. So, uh, Nicole, in light of these ongoing threats, what steps are being taken around Washington to prevent the possibility of more violence on Inauguration Day? Yeah, well, the National Park Service, Elaine, announced today that it is closing the Washington Monument through January 24th. And D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser asked the Department of Homeland Security to extend its federal ex assistance during the inauguration. She actually made the announcement uh, with Margaret Brennan, our own, on Face the Nation yesterday. She asked DHS to expand its national special security event designation timeline. Well, DHS did. In fact, it was acting Secretary Chad Wolf's uh, last move before he announced his resignation. He announced that uh, the DHS will move up its timeline for this special security designation uh, from January 19th to January 13th. That's just two days away from now. Uh, what this does is it effectively makes Secret Service in charge of protection, planning, and training surrounding the inauguration. It uh, becomes the lead agency coordinating the 19 law enforcement agencies throughout Washington, D.C. Uh, so, you know, moving up that timeline for special protection uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, ahead of the inauguration. Wow, really significant to hear that. Uh, Nicole, in an interview with the Washington Post, outgoing Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sun said that he was concerned about the size of pro-Trump crowds and tried to put the D.C. National Guard on standby. Why didn't that happen? Yeah, well, actually, Michael Kaplan, one of our own CBS News producers, spoke with Stephen Sund, uh, former chief of the Capitol Police today. Uh, he said he was rebuffed by Army leaders who approve uh, the National Guard deployment to Washington, D.C. He said that he told the National Guard that he needed boots on the ground, immediate assistant right then and there, helping to form police lines to help secure the foundation of the United States Capitol building. But uh, Sund said he was 
told uh, that there was an optics issue, that National Guard didn't want to uh, appear to be interfering in uh, such a large-scale political event. We've heard that from other law enforcement agencies as well. Uh, I spoke to a former uh, senior DHS official today, however, that said called this a large embarrassment, called it a failure of DHS, of local law enforcement, of National Guard, uh, clearly here, who are supposed to be working in direct coordination with the Capitol Police. We also know, though, that there was a, a shortfall when it came to Capitol Police's presence. Only 500 officers initially on the ground outside the U.S. Capitol. Uh, that's a 2,000-strong uh, force, the U.S. Capitol Police. Uh, clearly, uh, not all of their officers were there, uh, boots on the ground initially. Uh, this uh, former senior official from DHS uh, telling me, perhaps, Perhaps they should have been. Yeah, just so many open questions. Um, Nicole, the FBI is saying that it did, in fact, try to prevent a possible disaster at the Capitol. Like what? Yeah, well, we're told, and this is some preliminary reporting, that FBI had uh, intervened in uh, several right-wing and extremist rallies uh, prior to uh, the January 6th event at the U.S. Capitol, that there were uh, warnings sent out, intelligent dispatches sent out to local law enforcement, that they were aware um, of some of this intelligence early on. Um, of course, we know that uh, certain individuals... Uh, with the Proud Boys, uh, one of the Proud Boys leaders of that, uh, you know, right-wing uh, militia group uh, was arrested prior to the January 6th assault on the Capitol in Washington, D.C. He was found uh, with many weapons on him. So, you know, the intelligence community clearly here aware of the threat, uh, but still a lot of lingering questions about why there was not a larger presence on the ground, um, you know, had they known how real that threat was. All right, Nicole Skanga for us. Nicole, thank you very much. Thank you. The former President Barack Obama had nominated him to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court in 2016, and he'd been rejected by Senate Republicans who refused to hold a vote on his nomination. Let's listen now to President-elect Biden. We'll talk more on the backside. Yesterday, in my view, one of the darkest days in the history of our nation, an unprecedented assault on our democracy, an assault literally on the citadel of liberty, in the United States Capitol itself, an assault on the rule of law, an assault on the most sacred of American undertakings, ratifying the will of the people and choosing the leadership of their government. All of us here grieve the loss of life, grieve the desecration of the people's house, but we what we witnessed yesterday was not dissent, it was not disorder, it was not protest, it was chaos. They weren't protesters. Don't dare call them protesters. They were a riotous mob, insurrectionist, domestic terrorist. It's that basic, it's that simple. And I wish we 
could say we couldn't see it coming. But that isn't true. We could see it coming. The past four years, we've had a president who's made his contempt for our democracy, our constitution, the rule of law, clear in everything he has done. He unleashed an all-out assault on our institutions of our democracy from the outset. And yesterday was but the culmination of that unrelenting attack. He's attacked the free press, who dared to question his power, repeatedly calling the free press the enemy of the people. Language, at the time he first used it, I and others said, has long been used by autocrats and dictators all over the world to hold on to power, the enemy of the people. Language that is being used now by autocrats and dictators across the world, only this time with the imperator of an outgoing president of the United States of America. He's attacked our intelligence services, who dared tell the American people the truth about the effort of a foreign power to elect him four years ago, choosing instead to believe the word of Vladimir Putin over the word of those who sworn their allegiance to this nation, many of whom had risked their lives in the service of this nation. He deployed the United States military, tear-gassing peaceful protesters in pursuit of a photo opportunity in the service of his re-election, even holding the Bible upside down. The action that led to an apology from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and an outspoken denunciation of the use of military for domestic political purposes from scores, scores of former military leaders and secretaries of defense led by Secretary Cheney. He thought he could stack the courts with friendly judges who would support him no matter what. They were Trump judges, his judges. He went so far as to say he needed nine justices on the Supreme Court because, because he thought the election would end up in the Supreme Court and they would hand him the election. He was stunned, truly stunned, and the judges he appointed didn't do his bidding, instead acted with integrity, following the Constitution, upholding the rule of law, not just once or twice or three times, but over 60 times. Let me say it, over 60 times. In more than 60 cases, in state after state after state. And then at the Supreme Court's judges, including people considered, quote, his judges, Trump judges, use his words, looked at the allegations that Trump was making and determined they were without any merit. Nothing was judged to put this election in question or doubt by any of these judges. Want to understand the importance of democratic institutions in this country? Take a look at the judiciary in this nation. Take a look at the pressure he was just subjected to by a sitting president of the United States of America. At every level, the judiciary rose at the moment during this election, did its job, acted with complete fairness and impartiality, with complete honor and integrity.
history looks back on this moment that just, we've just passed through, I believe it will say our democracy survived in no small part because of the men and women who represent an independent judiciary in this nation. We owe them a deep, deep debt of gratitude. And then there's the attack on the Department of Justice. Treating the Attorney General as his personal lawyer and the Department as his personal law firm. Through it all, we would hear the same thing from this President. My generals, my judges, my Attorney General. And then yesterday, a culmination of an attack on our institutions of democracy. This time, the Congress itself inciting a mob to attack the Capitol, to threaten elected representatives of the people of this nation, and even the Vice President, to stop the Congress from ratifying the will of the American people in a just-completed free and fair election. Trying to use a mob to silence the voices of nearly 160 million Americans who summoned the courage in the face of a pandemic that threatened their health and their lives to cast that sacred ballot. I made it clear from the moment I entered this race that what I believe was at stake. I said there was nothing less at stake than who we are as a nation, what we stand for, what we believe, what we will be. At the center of that belief is one of the oldest principles of this nation has long held. We are a government of laws, not of men, not of the people, of laws. I said it many times in the campaign. Our, demo our democratic institutions are not relics of another age. They're what sets this nation apart. They're the guardrails of our democracy. There is no president. That's why there is no president who is a king. No Congress that's a house of lords. A judiciary doesn't serve the will of the president or exist to protect him or her. We have three co-equal branches of government. Co-equal. Our president is not above the law. Justice serves the people. It doesn't protect the powerful. Justice is blind. What we saw yesterday, in plain view, was another violation of the fundamental tenet of this nation. Not only did we see the failure to protect one of the three branches of our government, we also saw a clear failure to carry out equal justice. Should we used to say in the Senate, excuse a point of personal privilege. A little over an hour and a half after the chaos started, I got a text from my granddaughter, Finnegan Biden, who's a senior in her last semester at the University of Pennsylvania. She sent me a photo of military people in full military gear, scores of them lining the steps of the Lincoln Memorial because of protests by Black Lives Matter. She said, Pop, this isn't fair. No one can tell me 
that if had been a group of Black Lives Matter protesting yesterday, it wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been treated very, very differently than the mob of thugs that stormed the Capitol. We all, we all know that's true. And it is unacceptable, totally unacceptable. The American people saw it in plain view. I hope it sensitized them to what we have to do. Not many people know it. Just as Carl and I were talking, we talked about, I think he raised it, the reason for the Justice Department was formed in the first place. It was back in 1870. We didn't have a Justice Department before that, Captain. It was formed in 1870 to enforce the Civil Rights Amendment that grew out of the Civil War, the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. To stand up to the Klan, to stand up to racism, to take on domestic terrorism. This original spirit must again guide and animate its work. So as we stand here today, we do so in the wake of yesterday's events. Events that could not more have vividly demonstrated some of the most important work we have to do in this nation committing ourselves to the rule of law in this nation, invigorating our domestic and democratic institutions, carrying out equal justice under the law in America. There's no more important place for us to do this work than the Department of Justice that has been so politicized. There's no more important people to carry out this work and the people I'm announcing today, more than anything, we need to restore the honor, the integrity, the independence of the Department of Justice in this nation that has been so badly damaged. And so many former leaders of that department in both parties have so testified and stated that. I want to be clear to those who lead this department who you will serve. work for me. You are not the president or the vice president's lawyer. Your loyalty is not to me. It's to the law, the Constitution, the people of this nation to guarantee justice. For Attorney General of the United States, I nominate a man of impeccable integrity, Judge Merrick Garland, one of the most respected jurists of our time, brilliant yet humble, distinguished yet modest, full of character and decency. Supreme Court clerk served in the Justice Department during the Carter, Bush 41, and Clinton administrations where he embraced the department's core values of independence and integrity. Federal prosecutor who took on terrorism and corruption and violent crime, always with the utmost professionalism and the duty to the oath he swore. Nominated by President Clinton to be a judge on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, considered the second most powerful court in America. Throughout such a long and distinguished career, Judge Garland has earned the praise and admiration of members of bench and bar, 
politicians of both parties. And despite his busy schedule and prestigious positions, he still makes time to volunteer regularly, tutoring students in Northeast DC, as he's done for 20 years. It's about character. It's about character. It was no surprise why President Obama nominated him, Judge Garland, to the Supreme Court. As I said, he embodies honor, decency, integrity, fidelity to the rule of law, and judicial independence. To those same traits, he will now bring, as Attorney General of the United States, not as a personal attorney to the president, but as the people's lawyer. He'll restore trust in the rule of law and equal justice under the law. And I fully expect discussions I've had that he will receive a fair hearing and swift confirmation. And once he's confirmed, I will move promptly to nominate his replacement on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. And I expect that the distinguished nominee will receive a prompt and fair hearing as well. For Deputy Attorney General, I nominate one of the most selfless people I've worked with, one of the brightest I've worked with, and I worked with her during the last administration, a 15-year veteran of the Justice Department, Lisa Monaco. Lisa knows the department inside and out. She is a definition of what a public servant should be, decent, trusted, honorable. And I might add, I embarrassed her a moment ago with the other colleagues, and selfless. I offered her other positions of greater consequence, quote unquote, more prestige. But she wanted to work with you, Judge. She wanted to go back to the Justice Department. A top flight prosecutor took on public corruption, corporate fraud, and violent crime. Chief of Staff to the Director of the FBI. The first woman ever confirmed as Assistant Attorney General for National Security, where she elevated cybersecurity to a top priority, and where it's even more consequential today than it was then. At the White House, she was a top Homeland Security and counterterrorism advisor to President Obama and me in every one of the national security meetings. She coordinated our fight against Al-Qaeda in Iceland. She helped lead our response to the Ebola crisis. When the bombs went off at the finish line on Patriots Day in Boston, her hometown, she coordinated the federal government's response with local and state law enforcement to get to the bottom of this horrible tragedy. Lisa, I know, I know you will help restore integrity and independence to the Department of Justice that you so revere. As Associate Attorney General, the number three job at the department, I nominate Anita Gupta, a woman I've known for some time, one of the most respected civil rights lawyers in America. Started her career at the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, then on to the ACLU, both organizations to which I belong. And then the Justice Department during the Obama-Biden administration, where she led the Civil Rights Division. At every step, with every case, she fought for greater equity and the right to right the wrongs of the justice system.
where they existed. And she's done so by bringing people together, earning praise from across the ideological spectrum for her approach to solving some of the thorniest problems we face. During the Obama-Biden administration, Vanita was put in charge of investigating the abuse of power in police departments in Ferguson, Missouri, and other communities torn apart by acts of violence and racial injustice. She helped institute common-sense police reforms to build greater equity, safety, and trust. She, she was commended for her work by both law enforcement and those advocating for changes in the criminal justice system. That's a rare achievement, and it speaks volumes about her capacity to unite people in common purpose, which is what this is all about, uniting the American people. Born in Philadelphia, a proud daughter of immigrants from India. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> if confirmed, Anita will be the first woman of color to serve as Associate Attorney General. And I'm grateful, I'm grateful that Anita is leaving her current job, leading one of the premier civil rights organizations in the world, as she answers the call to serve once again to ensure that our justice system is even more fair and more equitable. Thank you. For Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights, I'm Nate, I nominate Kristen Clark, who has spent her career advocating for greater equality and equity in our justice system. The daughter of Jamaican immigrants. Now, don't think this has been designed. <laughs> I'm still looking for an Irishman. All kidding aside, the daughter of Jamaican immigrants, Kristen, is also one of the most distinguished civil rights attorneys in America proud native of Brooklyn, New York. She began her career, her legal career, in the very same office she's now nominated to lead. Her previous tenure with the Justice Department saw her take on some of the most complex civil rights cases, from voting rights to redistricting challenges to prosecuting hate crimes and human trafficking. She's earned accolades throughout her career, including as the head of the Civil Rights Bureau her home state of New York, where she's led the charge to end the school-to-prison pipeline and root out discrimination in housing and in law enforcement. She currently leads one of the nation's top civil rights organizations, where she promotes greater equity in voting rights, in our education system, in our housing system, in our justice system, and so much more. Now, she'll return full circle pursue the vital work where her career began. The Civil Rights Division represents the moral center of the Department of Justice and the heart of that fundamental American ideal that we're all created equal and all deserve to be treated equally. I'm honored to accept the call to return to make real the promise for all Americans. To each of you, Thank you for your service and to your families and to the American people. This is a team that will restore your trust and faith in our institutions and democracy. I chaired the Judiciary Committee for many years. 
one of my goals in running in the first place. You may recall, I said when I saw those people coming out of the fields in Charlottesville, shouting hate, young woman killed. When asked, the president said there are good people on both sides. That's literally why I ran. There's no more important and heartfelt effort on my part than restoring, restoring the independence and integrity of our Justice Department. So may God bless you all. May God protect our troops and those who are sworn to protect the American people. I will turn it over to the team, starting with the next attorney to the United States, Attorney General of the United States, Judge Merrick Garland. Thank you.